Hi, this is Dan. And this is Joe. And this is Enough Room. Twenty twenty one. Happy New Year, everyone! <laughs> Yay! I know. I've been, <laughs> I've been actually looking forward to this. Like just before we sat down to record this, um, we had some friends over. But in the back of um, my mind, I knew that we were going to do this, and the whole time I was just like so excited because. <laughs> It's been a while. It's it been, a been a hot minute since we. <laughs> yes, and having said Happy New Year, it has been like a month since. It has the been New a month, yeah. <laughs> but Happy New Year still. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, I, I think we last released. Uh, well, we released our final episode for season two in December of last year, and since then we've taken a bit of a, um, a short hiatus. Mm. Yeah, a short break, um, just to help us catch up on things that have been happening yeah. around us, um, and maybe help you guys catch up a little bit. On yeah, the, yeah, it's <laughs> been episodes. amazing to see how many downloads we've been having, even yeah. when we haven't released anything. Absolutely, and thank you to those of you who have sent us messages, um, questions, or appreciating the podcast. Mm. Uh, we really appreciate you, and really thank you for your feedback. Yeah, it, it does yeah. mean a lot. Some good feedback, not only from our fellow LGBTQ plus brothers and sisters, but also from um, parents of Mm. LGBTQ plus people, siblings, grandparents, um, acquaintances. Yeah. It's been amazing just looking at all of the feedback that's come through. And if you're someone who's looking out there wondering where to start in this journey, um, or if you have questions, feel free to reach out. Yeah. Let's have a chat. Um, This year, exciting year. We don't really know what lies ahead of us. Uh, (laughs) And after last year, we don't even want to try and predict. Yeah, yeah. I have a feeling that 2020 left the room and then walked back in with a wig on or something. But let's not be pessimistic. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see what happens. Good things have happened. Yes. Biden got inaugurated in the US. Yeah. Here in Australia... COVID has been managed quite well. Yes. Um, We had a small outbreak here in Sydney not too long ago, but that's, you know, almost gone. New Zealand is doing quite well. Um, As you know, my family are in New Zealand. Um, My parents live in Auckland along with my sister. Um, So, yeah, things have been looking up. And um, the, the word on the street is that two-way travel between Australia and New Zealand will be up and running by April. Yay. So lots of people looking forward to that. Lots <laughs> Something of to look forward, forward to. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, Something else to look forward to this season where um, we're looking forward to whatever new content we are bringing to you. Um, we do have a few uh, episodes or a few interviews that were recorded last year, late last year with a friend of ours, and we can't wait to share them with you as well. Um, so, uh, subscribe and, uh, stay tuned, follow us, um, and look out for what we've got in store for you this yeah, season. Yeah. Yeah. If you're listening to this right now and wondering how to connect with us, um, you can find us on Facebook, Enough Room Podcast, or on Instagram, Enough.Room, the easiest way to find us. Hmm. Um, speaking of things coming up this year, I wonder how many of you listening are RuPaul Drag Race fans. Mm. If you are, then you will know what I'm about to talk about. <laughs> yes, Utica Queen, our first Seventh Day Adventist Woo! Queen 
on RuPaul's Drag Race. Yeah. Or at the same time, and I've watched a few seasons of RuPaul Drag Race, so my apologies if what I'm about to say is completely wrong, <laughs> but I think she's probably the first most openly Christian contestant mm. on RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, if you don't know what RuPaul's Drag Race is, let's give you an education. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's not about cars. Um, so, RuPaul is a very famous drag queen in the US. And um, she has this show called RuPaul's Drag Race, not only in the States, uh, but there are a few countries that have picked it up and have their own versions of RuPaul's Drag Race, which is basically a show uh, that features um, uh, contestants who are drag queens. um, And then sort of at the end of every episode, they vote someone off until they get a winner at the end. Um, At the moment, they're currently filming the Australia and New Zealand version of RuPaul's Drag Race Hmm. in Auckland, New Zealand. So I am looking forward to that as yes. well obviously it'll be a new zealand queen a kiwi queen who will take the crown but we'll see <laughs> we will see exactly yes anyway getting back to Utica queen so um some of you may have been very surprised um in episode two um when one of the drag queens called Utica queen um Part of the show on uh, episode two was writing lyrics to a song and then performing it. And Utica Queen wrote uh, some lyrics that included references to her savior. So as a result, I believe it was Michelle, uh, one of the judges on RuPaul's Drag Race, um, asked Utica why, if she was a spiritual person because she references um, her savior. And without hesitation, Utica says, yes, I am actually a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Mm-hmm. And yeah, minds were blown. <laughs> I looked at my Twitter feed and people were like, what? Utica is a Seventh-day Adventist? Utica is a Christian? Um, and I believe even Daniel was on Reddit. And even there, people were, I guess, in a way in disbelief. Yeah, there that- was just total shock that how could someone on a show like RuPaul's Drag Race, a a drag queen, be also identifying as a Christian and at that a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Mm. And and it wasn't like they were like, yeah, I'm I'm Christian or it doesn't, uh, yeah, it wasn't like Mm. she was like, I'm a Christian um, or any, you know, any sort of hesitation. Mm. It was the way that she said it that caught me off guard. Yeah. She was just so bold in her statement and it wasn't like something that she was uh, ascribing to, but it was something that she is. Mm. And what is, you know, a very um, important part of of her identity. Um, And if you have seen some of the promotional stuff that came out before season 13, this current season aired, she actually talks about how her spirituality, how she is a Seventh-day Adventist, um, and her spirituality is very important to her Mm. and being able to connect with uh, someone, um, you know, upstairs. (laughs) Um, So... It, it was. It just completely blew me away. Mm. Not necessarily because she is an Adventist on RuPaul's Drag Race or a Christian in that setting, but because of the way she said it, the way she claimed mm. it, the way she identified as mm. one. Um, 
And yeah. And yeah. I guess just, I think one thing that was really, um, I guess, heartwarming in seeing this and knowing that, that someone can be so open about their Christianity in such an environment. Um, one, I think, is a bit of a risk because oftentimes in the community, Christianity has a bad name and for good reason. Um, I think Christianity has done a huge disservice to the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and it's not surprising that uh, Christianity is, is, is frowned upon um, in many ways within the community. So I think, first of all, just seeing that now it's easier for people to be open about their Christianity and it's becoming more, I guess people are becoming more aware that you can actually be Christian and gay or Christian and part of the LGBTQ plus community mm-hmm. for one thing. But I think on the on the flip side of that, also just knowing that she feels comfortable as a drag queen still identifying as a Seventh-day Adventist, to know that she has been able to reconcile her identity with her faith um, is also just really heartwarming because I think it's a sign of the times in, in so many ways and it just it reminded me, it reminded both of us of, of how far we have come. Um, and I think that has just been really encouraging. Mm, um, mm. There is a long way to go, but I think just knowing that we're now at this point, that in 2021, a drag queen on RuPaul's Drag Race can self-identify as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian as mm. well and be proud of who she is as a Adventist Christian and as a drag queen mm. is is just a huge statement. Yeah, and, and I love it. And and I really want to emphasize that point because if you go back, you know, even ten years ago, twenty years ago, thirty years ago, forty years ago, if you were gay or if you're part of the LGBTQ plus community, you did not want to be out mm. or outed. Yeah. And that's either and, in the community or, or in the church. Or in the church, exactly. Yeah. And uh, even more so in the church, you would hide your sexuality. And you mm. know, many of us um, would have had that experience. Um, and if you're someone who's probably listening to this, you would know the pain and the loneliness that comes with that. Um, but that's where we were. And in many mm. cases, I'm not saying that it still doesn't happen, but it's so interesting how if you go back like 40 years ago, 20 years ago, that was the norm. If you were gay, you would, you know, do everything you can to push it away, mm. especially in church. Um, but now you have people like Eureka, you have people like us, you have people um, who are LGBTQ plus and Christian. Mm but living openly about it. Yeah. You know, being very bold. Um, And even people, friends that we know who go to church every weekend, who are very outwardly, like there's no hiding it, that they are gay, Mm. but they do it boldly. Yeah. And I think, uh, and one thing that Daniel mentioned when he was going through Reddit was that a lot of people were, in disbelief where they were like, hold on, is Utica Adventist? Is she Christian? How can she be mm. um, Adventist? You know, they're so conservative. Yeah. How can she be Christian? And they're very homophobic. One particular person said, if she's an Adventist, she must belong to the most liberal Adventist church in the world. And I read that and I thought, you know, you're right. She probably does belong to quite 
a liberal church if she has been able to maintain her relationship with the church mm. um, it's quite possible that she's just identifying as an Adventist and, and has maintained her Adventist faith but unfortunately hasn't found an accepting community mm. but having said that I think it just goes to show that there are a lot of people who don't realize just how many welcoming churches there are out mm. there now um, and yes you may have to seek them out and you may have to mm. find them. It may not be every church, mm. but there are a lot of welcoming um, what people would call liberal Adventist churches out there mm. um, that are very open to our community. And, and A lot more than before. Mm. I think there's definitely been a change. There's definitely been a shift, mm. not to the extent that a lot of us would like, um, but I, I, I do believe there has been a shift within the church, within Christianity, mm. um, towards a more accepting and affirming place. Again, it's not where we want it to be. Mm. And on the whole, it's still a conservative denomination. Christians are still more conservative. But there's definitely been a shift. And it's interesting that a lot of people haven't realized that. Mm. Um, but it's something that for those of us who are Christian, I, I think it's something that we should acknowledge. Yes. It's interesting watching Eureka and thinking about this. Um, we started talking about the woman at the well. Yes. I know. This is our segue. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we started talking about the woman at the well because mm. it's interesting how... It almost seems like you take Adventism on one end. If you had to put something that was completely opposite, completely different, it would be a drag queen. Mm. And so to have an Adventist identify as a drag queen, it's like you have to make, you know, a huge leap yeah. to get there. Um, and that's sort of what we see in this story with the woman at the well. Mm. Daniel, can you tell us a bit about maybe who the woman is and what her whole deal is? Sure. So um, basically this this Samaritan woman, now maybe I should go back a bit. Who are the Samaritans? There was, I guess in a sense you could say, there's almost like this civil war. Basically there's sibling rivalry amongst the Israelite tribes um, and um, centuries before Christ appears on the scene, they have a split um, and, um, ultimately by the time Christ appears, um, you have this society where the Israelites and the Samaritans are at odds with each other, even though they actually have the same basis for their faith. They have the same, um, I guess, foundation for their faith. They practice it differently and they have different beliefs about how it should be applied. Ultimately, what that means is that they see each other as um, I guess unclean and un yeah. they they just will not talk to each other yeah. they don't acknowledge each other because they believe the other is um, a um, is misinterpreting the truth and yeah. is a forfeit is a forfeit is a is a counterfeit version of the true faith yeah. something else that um, I guess I really want to emphasize with this story is, Think of Shiite and Sunni Muslims in today's world. In a lot of places around the world, there's a lot of, um, I guess, angst and a lot of um, 
trouble and fights that brew up because of this divide, especially in the Arab world, uh, where you've got uh, Sunni and Shiite Muslims. And it's something similar, not exactly the same, but something similar that we're looking at here. The Israelites obviously think that um, or believe that they are the chosen people of God. The Samaritans also believe that they are the chosen people of God. The Israelites believe that they are, you know, they've come from Moses and Abraham. The Samaritans believe that they've also come from Moses and Abraham. Um, and so each of them, because they both think they're right, they, there's been this rift between them. And like uh, Daniel said, this sibling rivalry. Um, and yeah, it's interesting that one of the first things Jesus does is go through Samaria or this place and interacts with a woman who he shouldn't actually be talking to if he followed the rules of the society back then. And in a way, he's sort of stepping over this wall that human beings have built up between two groups of people, between the Samaritans and the Israelites. Mm. He's stepping over this wall and connecting with the other. Well, for Jesus to even be talking to a Samaritan woman in his time is just hugely surprising. Um, it is really pushing the boundaries of what is acceptable in those times. And I think for me, that says a lot about, again, who Jesus is and what he's trying to do for his disciples. Sometimes we think of Jesus as having, you know, uh, being this God on earth who walks like 10 centimeters above the ground or something. Um, but for people who were, or especially even for the disciples who were there with him, a lot of them, I believe, hadn't even grasped what Jesus meant that his kingdom was, you know, not of this earth, that his kingdom was coming. They would have possibly been looking at Jesus as not necessarily just a Messiah, as we would think of it, as someone who's coming back again someday to take us to heaven, but more as someone who's going to overthrow the Roman um the, the the Roman occupation um, and set himself up as king of the Jews and have a literal kingdom uh, back then. And so for them to look at this person, someone who they don't necessarily see as, you know, the son of God at that stage, but for them to look at this person who is going to be their future king, ignoring all of their societal norms and talking to Samaritan women, I can only imagine what is going through their heads. Like, they were like, mm. what is going on with this man? Why is he talking to her? I think, and I think that's one thing that often we can forget. In our, in our day and age, it can be so easy to look back and quickly see how things progressed through history and forget that there were sometimes years, decades, centuries between some of these progressive events. And in the case of this particular story and, and looking at how Jesus was pushing the boundaries of who it was acceptable to share his love with or, or for him to communicate with or him to bless, him to share his gifts with. And I mean, this, I believe, is the first person outside of the disciples who Jesus reveals himself to as the Messiah. Um, 
Now, that's quite a significant thing for him to be revealing that to a Samaritan woman. Um, and yet, that's what he does here. And I think we fail sometimes to acknowledge the significance of that and how ultimately, if it wasn't for Jesus continually planting these seeds, continually taking these steps to to show the disciples that he is available to all people, no matter where they're coming from, no matter what their background, even those people that the Israelites might despise, even those people who are apparently unclean and outside of the the scope. Mm. Um, Jesus continually plants these seeds and takes these seemingly small steps to push the boundaries. And I, I think sometimes we fail to realize that that ultimately, those little steps and those little seeds that were planted, which we can read in a matter of hours, that actually spanned over years and sometimes took decades and centuries to actually be fulfilled, those little steps and those little hints is what ultimately led to the gospel being available to the whole world. Hmm. And and it's interesting that you say that, um, because that woman at the well, a woman who was a Samaritan and therefore not part of the in crowd, not part of the chosen people as the Jews would have seen it, not only is she the first person who Jesus reveals himself to as the Messiah, but she then is the first evangelist, mm. not the disciples. Mm. She is the first uh, evangelist because she leaves Jesus and runs into um, the city and tells them to come and see him. Come and see the man who has told me everything I've ever done, ever did. Um, but yeah, it, it is those small steps. And I can just imagine um, the disciples just wondering at this, thinking mm. about it. It's just amazing how mm. far we've come because of Jesus and mm. because of this Samaritan woman who was willing to, you know, have this conversation. And I wonder, like Daniel was saying, you know, when we're living through uh, the period that we're currently living through and we look forward to um, a time where things can be better, you know, where LGBTQ people or even minority people, you know, where they can be um, involved, they can be accepted, they can be affirmed in their communities. Um, we look forward to that day. But at the same time, I think it's important to recognize the little things that are mm. happening as we move towards that day. Mm. Um, yeah, I think this story helps remind me to always celebrate the little things. And sometimes we may not realize just how significant they are, and we may not fully understand um, the impact that little events and and uh, little changes may have on society, on the church, on us in the future. Mm -hmm. But I think it is really important uh, for us, and this story reminds me that it's important for us to acknowledge the small things and and be grateful for those small steps towards um, inc more inclusivity in the church mm -hmm. and and open mindedness and um, and an increase in questions that are being asked and people being able to be bold and stand up and acknowledge who they are without fear. Mm. Uh, I think it's really important to acknowledge all of those things and 
and thank God that um, he is leading his church down this path. Hmm. And if you are someone who, you know, back in the day, whether you be an ally or one of our LGBTQ plus brothers and sisters, and if you were that one person who showed compassion, who showed that everyone was welcome, who showed the love of Jesus, you can stand proud even today because it's because of people like you and the actions that you take as small and as insignificant that you may think they were, it's because of people like you that people like myself and Dan have found a space within Christianity, within Adventism. It's because of people like you that people like Utica feel confident and bold in their identity as Seventh-day Adventist drag queens. Um, and I think, again, that's something that we need to acknowledge is that, and especially I know our regular listeners, it's something that you do every day. It's something that you do every weekend uh, on Sabbath. And I want to also give a huge shout out to any pastors who are listening. Um, I know a few who listen to this podcast and I just want to affirm you and encourage you in the work that you are doing as well in making our church a better place um, for uh, the LGBTQ plus community, for minorities. Um, and yeah, I just want to thank you for that. And we just really want to take this time to just acknowledge the shift that's happened within our church. It may not be where we'd like it to be, but it's happening and it's moving. And that's sort of what hit me straight across the face when I saw Utica proclaim who she was. It makes me proud. It makes me proud, so proud to be a Christian, so proud to be a Seventh-day Adventist. Um, and I want to encourage you as well at the same time. We're not where we want to be. And it may seem like it's taking too long to get to where we're going. I just want to encourage you. Keep pushing. The little things do matter. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Enough Room. We'll be dropping another episode in about a week's time. So until then, follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook. Till next time. Bye. Bye.